thank you very much for joining us. Um, this week, we're very excited to have uh, Dr. Jana Price. She's the Senior Human Performance Investigator here at the NTSB. Uh, this is Sleep Awareness Month, and so uh, we're not going to get you drowsy. We're not going to get you tired. We're going to keep you energized and uh, have a fun, awake conversation uh, about the importance of sleep and, and how, um, how fatigue awareness is something that we should all be aware of. Um, and conversations about the importance of understanding your sleep patterns and then how it impacts NTSB investigations. And so Jana uh, is, she's an expert in this field. And so we're really excited that she uh, can be here to join us today. So thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. I'm really glad that I can come and talk to you and your listening audience about sleep and the importance of sleep and how we can stay safe uh, by getting enough sleep. So Jana, tell us about, first off, before we start talking about sleep awareness, you know, because it is Sleep Awareness Month, so we will talk all about that. But we want to find out what was your transportation journey. So we like to ask people on the podcast, like, how did you get to the NTSB? So what was what was the path that brought you here? Can you give a little a nickel version of Jana Price and you know what what got you interested in what you're interested in and and maybe how you ended up at the NTSB? Sure, sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, well, I started out going to school as a psychologist and then transitioned into human factor psychology, which is kind of a weird word. It's uh, some people associate it with ergonomics, or okay. but it's really about the way people interface with their workplaces. So it's about designing our work to fit what human needs are, whether it's designing the physical environment or designing the way that work is work works so it's kind of like the scientific version of feng shui like making sure everything fits together okay I mean, I'm trying, I, you know as you know i try to get it to as as, as basic I'll, I'll, basic I'll way. make it easier you know i was <laughs> so going, i went to graduate school back in the day when people couldn't figure out how to program their vcrs and so people Okay. In my field, design things that human brains know how to use intuitively. Okay. So, so kind of like, it's like uh, user, user, yeah, user, user friendliness. friendliness. User friendliness. Yeah, user, user experience, and... user friendliness. And so uh, when I got to graduate school, I was fortunate enough to work with a man, a researcher who I admired greatly. His name was Dr. Don Tipas, uh, the late Don Tipas. And he was passionate about designing workplaces to support shift workers. So okay. he worked with uh, nurses and doctors who worked around the clock, train engineers, factory workers. His passion was trying to make the workplace better for people who had to work 24-7. Okay. And so I was just captivated by that. I can remember him when I was his uh, graduate student. One of the things that he played for us in one of my classes was the audio tapes that were taken from the Exxon Valdez uh, crash that happened in the 1980s, and um, a lot of people associate that crash uh, with alcohol, but mm -hmm. actually fatigue played a big role in it, and we listened to the audio tapes, and you could actually hear um, the captain and how tired he was on that, on the, the audio tapes, and that was one of the things where I learned about NTSB, yeah. and it was um, one of the things that really got me passionate about wanting to work for transportation safety, so... So yeah, so I've been working um, on transportation safety ever since then. Mm -hmm. I actually did my uh, 
my doctoral dissertation looking at uh, drowsy driving and truck drivers. I spent oh, that's cool. I spent a lot of nights um, on the side of the road, uh, camped out, watching trucks coming in and out of truck stops and yeah. rest areas, trying to understand the types of uh, timing and duration of their breaks to try to understand whether they had enough uh, space to rest when they needed to and the types of rest that they were doing. So I've been you know, pretty much interested in it since I was a student and coming to NTSB was just a, a great thing for me to be able to, to put my interest in that area to work and I've been working on fatigue-related issues and transportation safety in general ever since. So how long have you been at the board? 18 years. 18 years, whoa. Yeah, almost 18. Cool. And so where were you, like, it's a very kind of specific thing that you're interested in working on. Are there other groups that you, like, where'd you work out before the NTSB? Um, I pretty much came to the straight NTSB after. straight from graduate school. I, awesome. I did work for a research uh, research group before I came to NTSB, but, but when I found out... Um, that NTSB was hiring, and um, you know it was really kind of my dream job. Yeah. So I, I jumped at the chance, yeah, and I I, I, have to. I was a researcher here at first. Uh, I did research for nine years, and I okay. enjoyed doing that quite a lot. And the for the past nine years, I've been in our Office of Highway Safety, which is very rewarding. Um, you know, it's kind of like where the the large majority of all transportation fatalities occur mm. is on our roads, over ninety percent. So. I really felt like that was the place I wanted to be to be able to work directly yeah. on these issues um, where they're where they're really hurting the most people. Wow, that's crazy. During the your first nine years, was it always like highway related research, or where, you know we've had on um, uh, Ivan and Nathan, and they talked about you know they get to jump around to different modes and do different things. Is was there a project during that that nine years that? you know, really captivated you that you didn't expect to that was non-fatigue related? I did a ton of different stuff, yeah. actually. I did a safety study looking at weather-related general aviation plane crashes, which oh, wow. was very rewarding. I did another study that looked at the use of airbag systems in small aircraft. So Airbags in planes? Yep. There are airbags in uh, in some airplanes. You, you usually think of those as being in cars, and yeah. in airplanes, they're actually... Uh, embedded in the safety harness, and so when there's a, the okay. right kind of crash, they just deploy right out of the safety harness. People who uh, fly commercial might notice them occasionally if you ride in the bulkhead seat. Sometimes you end up with a seatbelt that's a little fatter and bulkier, yeah. and that's because there's a airbag there. actually packed into that uh, seatbelt. I didn't know that. I, I've seen them at some uh, some highway meetings. You know that. They're talking about designing them for that because I know that there's airbags like in the frame and things. And I don't know, for a while there, I thought you could have almost too many airbags. But I didn't know it was a, a and I didn't know they were in planes. Yeah, not 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 every plane, not yeah. every seat. But, but that but is even a possibility. I guess I never think of, of airplanes as, you know, airbag territory. Yeah, so I had a great opportunity to work across the modes and on a lot of different topics while I was a researcher and... And I have continued to even in highway. Um, you know, I've done things on substance impaired driving and alcohol impaired driving. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the wonderful things about working at NTSB is you, you know, we're kind of small. We don't have a lot of people. So if you're interested and willing to work on things, you can wear a lot of different hats. You can jump around. That's really cool. Uh, and so then, you know, I do want to kind of, I really do like the fatigue stuff because it's it's everything like it's I, awareness month 
It was it is Sleep Awareness yeah. Month, yes. Um, but it's also spring break, and I know Stephanie has some questions. You know, I, I just spent some time in, in Florida during spring break with you know a bunch of college kids that were there, and I'm pretty sure they weren't getting the sleep patterns that they needed to because it's you know it's their college students, and even when I, not spring break time, it's it's hard to, to get that together. But what I guess is it important just to get sleep, or is it important? I'll start with a simple one: important to get just sleep, or is it important to get good sleep? Um, it's important to get sleep. Sleep. And it's important to get good sleep. <laughs> and um, I so, guess the one of the ways I think about it is if you're not getting good sleep, you're actually just not getting sleep. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes people say, I didn't sleep well last night. And they usually mean that they just didn't sleep very much because they were waking and going back and forth between waking and sleeping. So, yeah. so uh, when people say poor sleep, it really, they're really usually meaning they didn't get sleep because either they had a shorter sleep period or their sleep was fragmented or disrupted in a way that their brain wasn't getting the restorative effects of yeah. sleep that you would need. And I, I asked the question, but I guess I really didn't know the answer. What makes good sleep then? Like, is it just, I've always heard REM sleep. I don't, again, I don't know much about any of this. I hear sure. all these words, but like. Sure. I don't want to be too uh, boring, but you know, there are different <laughs> stages of sleep. Um, we can get but, as deep in the weeds the, as you'd like. But just from a perspective of people who want to know what it means to get good sleep, adults need seven to nine hours of sleep per night in order to get good sleep. For adolescents, that's a little higher, more like eight and a half to nine and a half hours of sleep mm -hmm. per night. And when I say per night, I mean per night because our brains are designed, hardwired to sleep during the night. And so, you know, one of the things that makes it harder to get a good night's sleep, um, we were talking about, I mentioned earlier, shift workers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, certain populations have a harder time getting sleep. Sometimes, like, you know, you were mentioning teenagers on spring break. Yeah. Maybe they're just too busy to sleep or shifting their sleep to, to happen so that they're not going to sleep until the wee hours of the morning. Um, but all of those types of things, either whether you're doing it because you don't want to be sleeping or because your job requires you to be yeah. awake during the night, all of those things can interfere with your, your brain's ability to get the sleep it needs to function the way it needs to during the waking hours. I've heard it described as like a good night's sleep is, is a good reboot for your brain. It helps like kind of recharge things and, and I don't know, I think of it as like purging the system and getting it back to, you know, yeah, I think that's a wonderful analogy. Um, you know, when I talk to people, when I go out and talk to people, I like to use the cell phone analogy. You know, people people are certainly tied to their cell phone. They look at how much battery they have left in their <laughs> cell phone. I know that, um, you know, if you... Need one of those on our hands so we can see what our battery's at. Yeah, if you, get, if you get up in the morning and you're going to work and you look down at your phone and you see that you're only at 10%, you know you're not going to use your phone that much that day, or maybe you're going to bring your charger with you and charge it while you're at work. And if you think of your brain like that, you can say, hey, if, if I didn't get enough sleep or if my battery is depleted, maybe I need to take it easy. Maybe I need to not push it, or maybe I need to recharge, meaning yeah. take a nap um, if, you can, if you can manage to do that. You know, you're, you mentioned the shift workers. Your time working on looking at that population I've heard rumors of it, and I, preach, I, I don't know the answer. I guess I, but can you change like your circadian rhythm to get used to the shift work? Is there a way to, or are we all really just hard, hardwired? Like you said, like our body needs to sleep at night. 
Is it always that way, or is after time does a body readjust itself to be able to? Right. Well, if you if you think about it, like imagine that you flew to Japan. You know, it would take some time. You would be jet lagged, but eventually you would acclimate. But one rule of thumb is when you do travel, you need um, one day for every hour that you shifted in order for your for your body and your brain to be completely um, synchronized into that new time zone. So when you move time zones, of course, though, <clears throat> the day and night also changes. Yeah. So you have the sun and the dark to, to help entrain you, is what we say. Um, when you're a shift worker, you're experiencing something that we sometimes refer to as social jet lag, which means you're, you're in a state of jet lag, but it's because of your you know, work environment or the, the constraints you're putting on yourself. The hard thing about that situation is that the sun is still coming up during the day and it's still dark at night, even though you're trying to invert. And so there's always going to be this pull of biology. It's the, it's the actual sunlight that helps to entrain you into your circadian rhythm. Okay. And so even people who really try very hard, you know, there are some people who just must. They're firefighters or they're, you know, work at hospitals and they have to work nights and sleep during the day and there are strategies that people who must do that can do to make it better um, so that they can sleep better and be have better wakefulness so I guess my answer to you is that you can get close but it's hard and there's always going to be pulls both biological pulls from your environment and social pulls because if you work excuse me if you work a night shift five days a week on the weekend, you're probably going to want to spend time with your kids. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to want to go shopping. And that means inverting back into yeah. the daytime schedule. It's the consistency. You lose that. You kind of just lose all the work that you've trained your body on right. on that period. Right. And then all of a sudden, you have to switch back and switch back again. And that makes yeah. it even harder. I don't know. I always... I always want more sleep and I never get it. And then I feel like oh, I'll be fine without it. But then I meet people like you who talk about the importance of it and it, it makes me realize I'm a bad sleeper. And now I have apps. <laughs> well, you and, can and become a better sleeper. I, and I do try to work. And I have an app on my phone that, you know, it's my alarm clock. It tracks my sleep patterns and it tells me I snore a lot. And so, you know, I can work with that. But has that helped? Do you think that's helped the general population? Having Fitbits and all these other devices that people wear to do sleep sort of sleep tracking, do you think people are more cognizant of it now? I think it has certainly helped people to be aware of their sleep more. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know the jury's out on whether it's <laughs> going to lead to better health and better safety um, using those kind of wearable devices. I can tell you that beyond the uh, use of those devices just for kind of self-tracking, mm-hmm. some workplaces are getting in on that to help their workers understand the importance of sleep. And, um, you know, so that they can help track yeah. it and so that they can know that their workers are, are sleeping healthily and, uh, and, and, and staying what safe. They need to do. And you get in that kind of leads into some other questions I was going to ask, but before I was going to ask about some of our investigations recommendations, but Stephanie looked like she had a question. I did. I was going <laughs> to ask if you could just talk a little bit about or explain the idea of circadian rhythm. I know that until I, I came to work here and talked with you and, and, uh, former member of Roskind that I really didn't quite understand what circadian rhythm or how naturally our bodies want to, like you said, sleep when it's dark and be awake when it's 
it's yeah. late. So if you could sure. explain that a little bit. I'd be happy to do that. Um, so, you know, there are entire fields of study just on circadian rhythms. And in fact, I think our most re- some of our most recent Nobel Prize winners won based on circadian science. But um, there are many, many uh, biological things about us that follow circadian rhythms. And what that just means is a, is a pattern of uh, rhythmicity that happens over the course of a day. And so we have different ones for temperature and for heart rate, but for sleep and sleep, um, sleep drive is the one that's of greatest interest to what I do. Um, and so people are basically predisposed to sleep during certain times of the day and the times that we are the most likely to need or be driven to sleep is uh, in the early morning hours. So kind of from about midnight to 5 a.m. is when it's, it's very difficult for people, even when they are trying to, like I was talking to Eric, invert their schedules. We just have a, a certain pull to sleepiness right around those times of day. And it's, you know, as, as, you, as you may notice when you look at the body of crashes that we've looked at, some of our most severe crashes that we've investigated have happened during those early morning hours. Um, and a lot of times it'll be during those early morning hours after a driver has been on the road for several hours at a time. So it's kind of like this perfect storm of being awake for a long time and then trying to operate during that period when, you're, when, you're, when your brain is kind of pulling you into sleep. And that's when you're more likely to have lapses in attention. You're more likely to have uh, reduced reaction times that just make it much harder for you to do you know, pretty much anything. Um, there's a secondary dip in the day, um, the one that people might be even more familiar with. If they're nighttime sleepers, they may not realize the nighttime one. The one that people are generally very familiar with is there's a, a secondary, smaller one that happens in the afternoon hours, and sometimes people call it like a post-lunch dip. Um, it's really not a- associated with eating. It doesn't matter whether you have lunch or not. It's just a natural little dip that happens in the early afternoon hours. And that's the time that a lot of cultures have tea time or siestas. So mm-hmm. we have kind of culturally adapted to this little bit of afternoon sleepiness. That's with- pretty cool. I didn't realize that. I, always, I, I did. I always thought it was like your body processing food. So you eat a lighter meal. You're not going to get as sleepy because your body's not going to be working as hard. That's why a lot of people head down and get their afternoon coffee because that's when they're kind of starting to feel a little sluggish. And, you know, usually you get through that. And then there's actually a time after that during the like primetime TV kind of time when we are most alert. And sometimes people find it very hard to go to sleep during that time. So um, some researchers call it the forbidden zone for sleep. So uh, it, it could be difficult, for example, if you know you have to get up very early uh, to do a job or something, you might try to go to sleep at 7 o'clock at night thinking, okay, well, I'll just go to sleep earlier, and then you find yourself laying in bed. Well, it, it's not just because you've changed your habit. It's because your brain isn't programmed to fall asleep during that time of day. You mentioned siestas. So napping, is napping an effective way to kind of combat not getting enough sleep or, you know, when would a nap be better than your afternoon coffee if you had the opportunity? Yeah, napping is a really interesting topic. It's so funny. <laughs> Doesn't that sound funny? Sounds like, I guess people, some people out there might think napping is a really, is like a very boring sleepy topic, but I think napping is a very interesting topic. 
Um, it kind of depends on your point of view. Um, I believe it would be wonderful if we all slept well enough at night so that we didn't need naps. Um, because ideally, especially in the world we work in, where we want people to be performing and be very safe, you know, behind the wheel or flying an airplane or driving a train or driving a boat, um, you kind of don't want to get in a position where you need a nap. But that said, if people do get in a position where they, for whatever reason, haven't been able to have adequate sleep, then napping can be a really great countermeasure and probably the most effective countermeasure if you're really in a position where you know you've gone a few nights with not so great sleep and um, you're you know let's say you're on a road trip and you're feeling mm -hmm. like you know maybe starting to feel a little bit drowsy if you can safely pull over and take a nap that's probably one of the most effective things that you can do um, you know, drinking a cup of coffee can be useful, but it's a temporary solution. You're kind of masking that fatigue that you have from the loss of sleep. Really the most, the thing when you, when you haven't had sleep and you're sleepy, you need sleep. I know it sounds, it sounds pretty it's simple, but it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's as simple as that. That's what you really need. So, so napping isn't something that I would say is something that people should necessarily try to rely on, uh, but when you need it, it's a really, it can be really helpful. Is there, is there, I was I'd like, how long is too long of a nap? Is there such a thing as that? Or is there, can you doze and be okay and then have a nap? I mean, like if yeah. I go to sleep for too long, I wake up and I either feel worse. I like have a worse headache and I don't feel like the nap did me any good. And then I feel like I'm not gonna be able to go to sleep later. Is that just me or is uh, that like a that is not thing? that is not just you and in fact um our uh former board member dr mark rosekind did research on this very oh, yeah, topic he when he worked at nasa and he coined the term the nasa nap um <laughs> so there uh there is there is some research done by him and his colleagues that suggests that there is kind of an optimal nap length and that you probably don't want to nap too much longer than I think it was about 45 minutes that you can you kind of can get some positive benefit from a short nap and that if you end up sleeping too long um, that you get into the deeper stages of sleep and it might be uh, more difficult now you know, there's been a lot of research and there's, I don't think there is necessarily, uh, that's, you know, I think there are different schools of thought yeah. about napping. Um, I think that the bottom line is if you, if you haven't had enough sleep and you are feeling sleepy, then taking a nap can be a very effective way to have a, a short-term countermeasure. The NTSB doesn't have any official Policies on 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 we recommending, need some napping recommendations, recommending napping, I'm sure. Except we... as part of a like a broader um, fatigue management. Yeah. You know, we believe in fatigue management holistically, and there are a lot of different ways to address fatigue besides napping. And but that is one tool I think for most listeners that they can probably relate to. That is something that it, when you that you can use once in a while. Um, the the this this the small danger is. You know, when you take a nap and then you wake up from that nap, you need a little bit of time to kind of get your get the grogginess out, yeah. and and that's uh, that's a term that that sleep researchers refer to as sleep inertia. So it's this kind of 
when you when you first wake up, you it's very difficult to perform optimally. And for most of us, that's not a big deal. You you get up from your nap, you have a cup of coffee, or you walk around yeah. a little bit. But if you are say uh, a medical helicopter pilot and you're napping at the hospital, and then you have to wake up and you know fly a helicopter to yeah. go rescue someone, those are the times when you need to be thinking about you know that going the movement from sleep to performance that you. You may need a few extra minutes in there to really get back into yeah. your waking brain from from being asleep. That makes sense. Uh, I know Leah has a question, but on that, I just wanted to say I know that a lot of fire departments got rid of the poles. You know, everyone knows of the fire pole. It's because uh, firefighters are hurting their ankles as they go down the pole. And I think as part of that, getting woken up in the middle of the night, go do it, and you're going faster than you think you should, and you hit the bottom, and and you roll an ankle or, or something, they're, they're sleep inertia. They were not quite to the full warm-up period before they got going. Firefighters are a very good example of people who, you know, need to sleep, and they need to be able to get up and perform very, yeah. very quickly. So that's, that's interesting. I didn't know that about the poles. Yeah, I always went down the ladder, or uh, down the stairs, not the ladder, but <laughs> down the stairs. Sorry. Similar to this. Um, <laughs> You, I hear a lot, um, and I probably am guilty of, you know, having maybe during the work week not enough sleep, and I'm using air quotes, um, in the, you know, seven to nine hours. Um, but on the weekend, it's like, oh, I'm going to catch up this weekend on sleep. Is that a thing? Can you really catch up on your sleep deficit that you may build up over the work week? Sleep deficit. You're picking up the words already. <laughs> yeah, sleep deficit or sleep debt. Sleep That's debt, what we yeah. call it. Yeah. So, Leo, what you're talking about is this, there are these kind of two types of sleep deprivation we talk about. So one of them is acute. So that's kind of like when if you pull an all-nighter or you have to just be awake for a long extended period of time. But what's more typical is this idea of having a chronic sleep debt. So instead of getting our eight hours a night, maybe we stay up to watch that movie and then we still have to get up in the morning and then, you know, repeat every night. So maybe you're getting six, six and a half hours a night. And then on, on Friday you fall asleep and you really sleep in that. That's, that's, that's not a bad idea. Now what you, there's two things you, you, so you, yes, you can recoup some of that. It's not a one-to-one. So you may need, um, a couple of nights of good quality long sleep in order to make up for a sleep debt. And you may actually be a little bit, uh, in general, it's a good idea. But what, you need to, but what you need to be aware of is that sometimes when people sleep in on the weekends, they start to shift their schedule a little mm-hmm. bit. So mm-hmm. those same people have told me that they find it hard to fall asleep on Sunday night because they've slept so much from Friday to Saturday and so much from Saturday to Sunday that on Sunday night they find it hard to fall asleep and then they go back into the same the pattern again, again for the yeah. week for the weekday. Okay. So, you know, the ideal is to to get good sleep every night consistently. Okay. But but yeah, there's nothing wrong with trying to 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 catch up and it, and it will do you some good to have a good saturate yourself with sleep once in a while it can it can only help your brain i like that saturate yourself with sleep <laughs> it's it's important if only we could teach our children that 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 we need to saturate ourselves with well sleep. <laughs> fighter pilots will sleep saturate that's one of the things that the if they know they have to go fly a mission our our department of defense has has learned this and they will they will counsel people to 
they, to sleep as much as possible before they have to fly a mission. So it, you can actually bank a little sleep. Now, it's not a strategy that I recommend for everybody, and it's these are people who are monitored very closely. Mm-hmm. Um, but but some but some people in the high performance communities will do things like sleep saturate when they know they have to. And it's it's not a bad idea for any of us if we know we've got a, a, a test coming up or a, a challenging day coming up. Get extra sleep. I mean, the I know my kids' uh, teachers always say it before they have the have tests come up. Make sure your kids are getting a great night's sleep. And I love that message because it's just a good message in general, and it, it does help it does help you perform better. While we have the the sleep doctor on deck, <laughs> I want to ask a question. What what, what effects do food uh, have on uh, sleep? food and diet, because I know you say you drink coffee, but caffeine actually affects how you sleep. So right. how that's does a, that That's affect? a good question, James. Um, so in general, food and drink don't have an enormous effect on sleep. Um, you know, there's this kind of Thanksgiving turkey yeah. uh, mythology, which, Was you know, there's a little bit. But, <laughs> turkey trip but I think I think what James is getting at is the most critical one, which is caffeine. Um, caffeine certainly does inhibit our ability to go to sleep. So it's a good tool when you need it. If you're, you know, if you, if you, if you're feeling sleepy and you're in a position where you can't take a nap, sometimes having a little caffeine is good, but sometimes it can be bad if you're, uh, you know, if you are working a long shift, if you have caffeine at the end of a shift, that can make it harder for you to get to sleep at night. And there are a lot of products out there that people don't realize have caffeine in them. I mean, of course, coffee and tea have caffeine in them, but a lot of soft drinks have caffeine and some of them have a lot, you know, five-hour energy or um, some of these products. Um, And I'm especially concerned about how teens might be using these. You know, let's say they're, you know, studying, trying to have a, you know, stay up a little later to do some homework. They might be drinking a soda and not realize that when they do need to go to sleep, it's going to impair their ability to get good sleep. You just hit it. I was just going to say, you know, if you're trying to enjoy a meal uh, at you know for dinner and you maybe have a Pepsi when you should probably have some water, uh, that's going to affect your sleep. Yes, and I'll, I'll even take it a step further since you mentioned dinner. Sometimes people will drink alcohol thinking it's going to assist their sleep. So they say, oh, it's been a long day. I really need a good night's sleep. I'm going to have a couple of drinks to help me sleep. Alcohol can help you to fall asleep, but it will interfere with your sleep during the later stages of sleep. So it can really be a double-edged sword. Um, So alcohol, uh, especially heavy alcohol consumption, can really have a very negative effect on your ability to get a good night's sleep. So it's back to the, it gives you, gets you the sleep, but not the good sleep, like you get you get sleep, but you don't get that good sleep that your body needs. Yeah, you'll fall asleep, yeah. but you won't stay asleep. Well, and that's, you know, the the stay asleep, go to sleep, you know, um, some of our recommendations, and we'll kind of maybe go back since we're there, but like obstructive sleep apnea, OSA, is, is a thing where, you know, can you describe it? I always just picture it as like someone who wakes themselves up snoring, like and then, so they don't get into that solid sleep. Am I thinking of that correctly? You are thinking of that correctly, Eric. Um, obstructive sleep apnea is is a condition where uh, people, while they're sleeping, either uh, their their airway becomes obstructed. Um, so a lot of times it's associated with snoring. People, mm-hmm. if you listen to uh, the sleep of a person who has sleep apnea, you'll hear pauses in breathing, 
usually followed by a big snorty sound, like so kind of like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then and then they'll commence breathing until maybe a couple minutes later. They do it again. Stop again. No breathing. And there are some, you know, interesting. You can you know look them up on on the internet to hear it, but. Um, but that's what it is. And so a person is repeatedly stopping breathing throughout their okay. sleep period. So that was going back to what we talked to in the beginning. A person may not realize that, they, that this has happened, you know, 15, right. 20, up to 100 times per hour during their sleep period. And so they'll wake up in the morning and they'll say, how come I never feel like I had a good night's yeah. sleep even though I slept all night? They don't realize that their sleep is repeatedly becoming. Uh, they're they're having these repeated awakenings during the night, and so their brain is never fully engaging in in rest restorative sleep because yeah. of that. Um, that's the most obstructive sleep apnea. Obstructive, mm-hmm. where you're obstructing your airway, is the most common type of apnea. There's another type um, that's central nervous system apnea that where you don't obstruct, you just, because of your brain, you stop uh, breathing for periods during the night. Much less common. I didn't know that existed. Um, So those obstructive sleep apnea is is one of the most common sleep disorders out there. And um, and it's one that I'm, I'm glad you asked me about because it's one, like I said, that some people don't even realize they have. And so uh, if, if people are feeling like they're not getting restful sleep or if they're always feeling sleepy during the day, that is certainly something they would want to talk to their doctor about to try to understand if they might, that they might be at risk for obstructive sleep, sleep yeah. apnea. People who are heavy, um, obese, have uh, difficult to treat high blood pressure or have a large neck circumference, they're at particularly high risk uh, for having obstructive sleep apnea. And it can really interfere with your quality of life and yeah. your safety and health, it's uh, it's associated with a lot of other diseases. And the, but the good news is that it's very treatable. So um, so it's so I really would encourage anyone who who thinks they might possibly have it to to talk to their doctor about it because it's something that I've talked to so many people, especially in the commercial driving world, yeah. who didn't realize they had it. And then once they got diagnosed and got treated, they just said it felt like a completely new, like new world to them that they were their their level of alertness and and they would you know lose weight after you know and it would really help them as well to uh, to feel healthier and, and feel feel more alert. Does it necessarily have to be someone who's overweight? I know in a lot of our accident and crash investigations, it seems that we identify. Um, undiagnosed sleep apnea quite a bit in our findings and as causes of some crashes. But is it necessarily a a problem for people who are doing shift work or who are overweight or could someone who is fit experience something like that? Yeah, well, it's certainly... Being overweight is, is is very highly related to obstructive sleep apnea, but... You don't have to be overweight to have obstructive sleep apnea. There are slender people who can get obstructive sleep apnea. Um, sometimes a recessive jaw is is an indicator. Mm. Somebody who has a you know receded chin. Um, that's your the uh, kind of the way your your face and jaw is structured can can be a risk factor as well. So, so yeah, you don't have to be overweight if you do, if you are having a hard time sleeping, if you, you know, if you're 
bed partner says you snore all the time when you're having a hard time, you know, staying awake during the day, it's definitely still worth looking into. And there are other uh, sleep disorders as well. I think obstructive sleep apnea in the um, commercial driving population is a big one that we see a lot of. But there are other things like um, insomnia, which is a very kind of uh, common Mm -hmm. sleep disorder. Um, and something called restless leg sin- syndrome, where people have a hard time, where they're le- they feel like they have to constantly move their their legs. Um, those are two other relatively common. Well, insomnia is very common, and restless legs is is a little less common. But there are other sleep disorders that can interfere with your sleep. And I I can also add that there are a lot of other health issues that can affect sleep, health and medicine that can affect sleep and sleep health. So for example, some people who have, um, you know, reflux, gastroesophageal reflux disorder, you know, that can really interfere with a person's sleep. If you have chronic pain, there are a lot of different types of uh, health issues that can make it difficult for a person to fall asleep or stay asleep. And those types of health issues are important, of course, to treat in their own right, Mm -hmm. But in terms of health and safety, um, they can also be important for us in our role as as accident and crash investigators to try to understand how they might have affected an individual's sleep in the in the days leading to an event. I've gotten I'm very curious about this. I've gotten some questions while I've been out giving presentations um, from parents who, um, you know, they say like, oh, you know, you're always saying get this much sleep, get a lot of sleep. But, um, you know, what if we just can't? Or what if we've taken, you know, what if we have a cold or our child has a cold and they've taken some medication and it says, you know, don't operate heavy machinery, but a vehicle is heavy machinery. Is there a window or a way that people should be timing around the idea of, you know, taking medication that may impact sleep? Um, Or is there just kind of one of those, you need to just stay away from driving? I know it's one of those really tricky areas on how to handle that. And I'm just curious yeah. if you can answer that. It anything. is really tricky. And I think it's funny, you you know, there are these drug labels that say don't operate heavy machinery when you when you take this drug and just a car is heavy machinery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I think that and that is important. I'll tell you, um, you know, my colleagues here at NTSB did a study a couple of years ago looking at the um, toxicology or the medicines that were found in the, in the blood samples of fatally injured pilots. And one of the most common drugs that they have found in their um, systems is called diphenhydramine, and that is Benadryl. That's what its, it's uh, brand name. Benadryl or diphenhydramine is a is a is a, can make you very sleepy, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, you know, may not realize that. And so there, it's a tough choice, right? If you have if you're having allergies, mm-hmm. or if and you're thinking, well, um, I if I <laughs> if I don't take this drug, I'm going to yeah. not be in good shape. Mm-hmm. But if I do take this drug, yeah. you know, it might affect me as well. Mm-hmm. So I think your idea, your what you mentioned already, the concept of reading labels is really important. The concept of talking to your pharmacist when you get a prescription about the effects that it can have or looking at that information 
and trying to, um, you know, be aware of how it might affect your performance. You know, I kind of come back to the, the, the battery analogy. You know, when you know you're not fully charged, when you know you're not 100%, take steps to, to do things differently. You know, maybe, you know, maybe avoid driving or could you, you know, can you do something to uh, protect yourself a little more, like avoiding other risks? But I know it's not always a black and white decision, and that's the challenging that's the challenging thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is knowing when, when is it, when is it too risky? Right. Yeah. Uh, not that like totally changed the direction, but you kind of mentioned it. You know, doing the research, doing the research on the fatally injured pilots and looking at the, the medical histories there. And you've talked about the investigations that we've done, looking at commercial drivers from some of the accidents that we've and crashes we've investigated. Are there some key? I mean, we, we have medical fitness on the most wanted list, and that includes, like, uh, making sure that, you know, fatigue awareness and, and all of those kind of things. It's hard to sum up the breadth of investigations that we have. Is Are there a few key investigations that the NTSB has done that you think are good examples of how important it is for, for good sleep or one that really helps outline? Because we mentioned commercial drivers and commercial operations, one that's, you know, the importance of a sleep management system, um, and I guess in that vein, have we we haven't talked about a sleep management system, but the importance of employers taking sleep seriously with you know we've talked about with shift workers, but even non shift workers and making sure that that's all managed. Right. I know I just I packed a lot into that question, well, but is I there... think I think one of the one of the basic ideas there is how do we manage fatigue in you know for commercial drivers or even. When I say commercial drivers, I, I think about, you know, truck and bus drivers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are a lot of people who drive vehicles as part of their jobs. My brother was a salesperson, and he has to drive sometimes, you know, eight hours to go to visit a client. Yeah. So I think, you know, my, my father drove a snowplow. So there's all different kinds of ways that you can drive and have that or, you know, operate vehicles and have it be part of your work. And work places, employers can do a lot of things to try to uh, prevent fatigue-related crashes from happening. And part of that is looking at their scheduling systems. Part of that is, you know, trying not to have, ask workers to work long hours or through the night or have unpredictable schedules. That can be one of the hardest things in some workplaces when you don't know when you're going to be needed or if you're on on call. Some of those can make it very uh, difficult, but there are things that you can do. So you can you can try to do good work scheduling practices, uh, have health support, help you know apnea screening and treatment, and other types of health screening and treatment mm-hmm. to help uh, workers stay healthy and, and have healthy sleep. Um, another thing that we haven't talked about yet is having. Uh, non-punitive reporting. So if somebody is feeling tired, you know, let's say Leah mentioned the idea you have a sick child and you might have been up with your child. If you have a policy at the workplace where you can call in and say, I I don't think it's safe for me to come to work today because I couldn't sleep at all last night. And if you won't be punished or fired, you know, if you have a policy in place that encourages that type of behavior, that's going to go a long ways to um, making making a safer a safer workplace. So there are a lot of things that people can do and that employers can do to create a, a safe environment. 
There's, and there's no like fatigalizer. So it's, well, you know what I'm saying? It comes up all the time. Like, like, is there something that tells me that I'm, I'm fatigued? And that doesn't exist. Right. Yet. You had mentioned, science. well, yeah. Well, first of all, science I'll will get say, there someday, science, I'm sure. Science will get there. I will say um, some of my colleagues uh, at the Federal Aviation Administration are working right now on trying to uh, figure out which biomarkers we can measure. So, yes, yeah, some, someday <laughs> we might take a, a saliva sample at the roadside and know if somebody has had That's sleep so deprivation. It may, not, it may not be that far off. But you had mentioned, Eric, you know, wanting to hear about some investigations. And mm -hmm. I'll just say, you know, that you, you'd mentioned there's no fatigalizer. So it's, I guess that means there's kind of no, like a breathalyzer, you can tell on the roadside if yeah. somebody has, has, has drunk alcohol. But in terms of figuring out whether somebody was sleepy at the time of the crash, that's one of the most challenging things that we have to do here because it is really developing a whole body of evidence to yeah. try to understand whether somebody may have been sleepy and whether their sleepiness may have impaired them at the time of a crash. And it can be even harder if that person is fatally injured in the crash to try to understand what their state of mind might have been at the time of the crash. So our investigators, we actually have an entire two-day training course here at NTSB that I helped develop with some of our my fellow oh, cool. investigators to teach ourselves, to teach all of us, our mm -hmm. investigators, and other investigators that come from uh, law enforcement or other regulatory agencies to try to help them to understand after an event has occurred whether it might be fatigue-related. So yeah. we look at things like trying to reconstruct the, sometimes we call it the 72-hour history, sure, but yeah. you know we go back as far as we can to try to understand um, what a person was doing leading up to that crash, what their sleep um, was. We look at you know things like cell phone records. We look at their work schedules. We interview people to try to reconstruct, to try to understand whether they slept or had an opportunity for sleep leading to that time. Cell phone records, maybe, to see if they're on the phone or Absolutely. Or, yeah. We always look at cell phone records, both because we're interested in distracted driving from cell phones, but yeah. also because if you're on the phone, you're probably, probably not, not sleeping. sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we look at all of that, and then we, we look at all different, we look at health records, and we look at what the crash itself and what happened in the moments leading to that crash to try to understand whether it might have been related to a lapse in attention or delayed reaction time or things that might have been associated with fatigue. Of course, we're looking at all, all things when, we, when, we, when the NTSB goes to the scene of a, an investigation, a crash. We're, we're not just looking at fatigue. We're looking yeah. at everything under the sun to try to understand whether it was the vehicle or the roadway or you know all different kinds of things. Um, but with respect to fatigue, Trying to understand that person's uh, sleep-wake history, looking at their health, looking at how long they were awake at the time of the crash, and looking at the crash itself to try to understand what may have happened in the moments leading to it are some of the key things that we're looking at. And uh, I've had the opportunity to work on a lot of different crashes um, involving trucks and buses um, and even some, some passenger cars um, where people have... Um, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of times there are situations where people are um, driving late at night after having been awake for many hours. Um, we've had crashes that where we had drivers with um, undiagnosed 
sleep disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, we've also had crashes. This is, you know, this is spring break time. Um, Just a few years ago, we investigated a crash where it was just a a group of young women who were going on a, a trip for their spring break and and uh, you know they they went and drove uh, to to their spring break destination and then driving home um, you know most of the girls were asleep in the car on the way home and yeah. and that the the girl who was driving just nodded off and and the thing is I, I find it interesting because I think we 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 push this message of to our our young people of not drinking and driving so much and then we might forget to also help them understand the dangers of driving when you haven't had enough sleep yeah and so I know this right now we're in we're in sleep awareness month but it's also spring break time so I guess I, I really want to emphasize that because um, and it's not just and it's not just teenagers there are a lot of people who are planning their spring break trips I have yeah. friends of friends of my own friends who might be listening right now who <laughs> who have said things to me like well we don't really want to pay for a hotel we're just gonna drive through the night and the kids will the kids will sleep in the car. That's when they sleep anyway. So this is a great time for us to, to, to do the driving, yeah. drive from Washington D.C. to Florida overnight, and get there just in time to go to Disney. Well, That'll you know, be a fun it's, first day it's, at Disney. <laughs> you know, and I'm I usually say, well, you know, I really think you should consider spending that extra hundred dollars for the extra hotel night, and yeah. it, because it'll it'll really be worth it for you to get there safe. I mean, it's an, not just for teenagers. We all need to remember how important sleep is and to factor that into works. Our own, even if we don't do shift work, make sure that you, you handle I know uh, here at the agency, we have a fatigue management plan for our investigators, you know, to make sure that when you're on scene that, that you factor in, you need to sleep. You can't be on scene for, for the whole 24 hours. You know, you need to you need to sleep so that you can be the, the best that you can. And I know that uh, that carries over within the office too, that if you're working on a project for a while, you're doing conference stuff, make sure that you, you get all the sleep that you can get. It's important. And, and people should, should, should make sure that it's important to them. I it think. is important. And I'm glad you brought up that we have a policy here and that we think of our own people because we do, we do go out and we do ask a lot of our folks when we send them out to crash scenes, but we also expect them to take care of themselves and stay safe. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's a good point, you know, and, and if you're, if you are sleep deprived, you know, one thing that I, that I like to impress upon people is that sometimes you don't feel sleepy. It can kind of sneak up on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people can say, well, you know, I haven't slept much, but I, I feel pretty good. And, and it's kind of insidious because you can feel, you can perceive that you're feeling pretty well while your performance is really going down. Yeah. And we've, there are studies, um, one study that I thought, think is particularly um, telling was they had people in a driving simulator and they kept, they would ask these people at two minute intervals, what, it, what do you think is the likelihood that you will fall asleep in the next two minutes? And people would say, I think I will or I think I won't. And what they found is of the people who did ultimately have a microsleep, so their eyes closed and their head bobbed down and they had a little sleep, mm-hmm. only half of them predicted, it, the last time they were asked that question, did they predict that they were, half of them yeah. said, I'm fine. So how, you're, you've got kind of a 50-50 chance out there if you, if you Those feel... Those are good odds. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and if you do have a, a little microsleep, you know, if you're... If you're sitting in the office staring at your computer and you have a little microsleep, then you know maybe you'll type a word wrong. But if you're 
behind the wheel of a vehicle that's going 60 miles an hour, your car can travel 15 car lengths in yeah. three seconds. So that's that's a big deal when you're behind the wheel. Those couple seconds can be life or death. No, that's very true. Um, well, Jana, I really do. It It's always fun to talk to you, but it's also Sleep Awareness Month, so that's even better. And I, I'm fascinated by your history with what you've been working on with fatigue and, and your passion for it. it. It comes across in this discussion, and I hope everyone sees that. So I really want to thank you for, for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, this, is, this has been really cool. And I didn't even get to a bunch of the questions that I had. So there might be a, a Jana part two when we'll... You know, because we, we need to make sure that we take back and we get our get our proper rest from the conversation. I'm trying. I no, no it was it was funnier in my head. Um, but I really I do want to uh, thank you for for coming well, is, and chatting with us. It is coming up to that that post lunch yeah. time, <laughs> I, so um, maybe we should all just get a cup of coffee. Go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> and do this later. Yeah, but uh, so thank you very much, Jan. I want to thank uh, Leah and Stephanie for joining me, and uh, I want to thank James for joining us as well. I always forget to uh, thank you for for. Uh, all of the great work that you do. And I like that you're asking questions. Um, with that, make sure that you check us out on Twitter at NTSB, on Facebook, NTSB Gov, on LinkedIn at NTSB, on, uh, on regular websites at NTSB.gov, where you can go to the training center and you can find out information on the, uh, the training that Jana was talking about if you're interested in that. And then also make sure that you um, check us out on NTSB Gov on Instagram, where you can see the battery graphic that um, Leah helped create to talk about uh, fatigue. And so uh, you may have to scroll through. So it's good that you click uh, to be a follower so then you can get all the stuff. So we look forward to that. So again, thank you everyone for joining us and for coming behind the scene at NTSB. Take care.